All right. Well, we are in Galatians chapter number four. We have officially made it through chapter three, and we'll get into chapter four tonight. We'll go. We'll go a little while, and we can wrap it up anytime. Pastor, he's going to tap out tonight. I think he was here all day, so um, so we'll we'll get through however much we get through tonight, and then and then uh, we'll go from there. Okay. So chapter four, verse number one. Now I say that the heir, uh, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, um, again, uh, Paul's going into um, an illustration in chapter number four. If you recall, in chapter number three, uh, he likened the law unto a schoolmaster that was to teach us, and and he also likened it unto uh, um, you know, like a policeman, you know, something that can that can arrest you, that can that can condemn you, lock you up. Right? <coughs> and uh, here, he's likening the law unto a tutor and a governor. Okay? So, someone in charge of you until you get old enough to know better. Now, it's important to kind of understand what he's saying here. Now, I say that the heir, again, because he's bringing up that word heir, that's coming back down from chapter number 3 where he finished off saying Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, he brings that heir back down into chapter number 4, and he says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. So if you consider back in the times when, uh, you know, um, maybe in, 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 in a kingdom, or whether he, or, or in, in the Old Testament setup, if you will, uh, just because you were maybe the oldest son, you were entitled to a birthright or the inheritance of your father, um, as long as you were a child, you were no different than a servant, right? And so you would have people over you and teaching you the ways of the kingdom or teaching you the ways of, of, of how things should be. And there was people that were over you and under your father, if you will. Um, and, and that was all until the time appointed by the father, okay? So he uses that word servant, and that servant, that word servant here is is like a slave it's like a bondman okay again remember that he's likening the law unto these tutors and governors and the and the child or the heir is the one that's in bondage to these tutors and governors okay they are the watchmen over him if you will uh, they are they are showing him the ropes okay and uh, it's funny because the apostles are called servants all up until the day of the crucifixion. We read that verse uh, over there in uh, John chapter 15. I'll read it again. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but you can just make a note of it if you want. John chapter 15, verse 15. Uh, he's, they're called servants. The apostles are called servants all the way up until the day of the crucifixion when Jesus Christ says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. 
For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. And so their, their, their title changes, if you will. They're no longer servants. They they're now, they're now have more responsibility. They understand more about what the Father uh, had for them, the expectations of their Father, of, of what Jesus Christ was doing, right? Now this is also shown through uh, Jesus Christ Himself because Jesus Christ is the Lord's servant. He's Jehovah's servant. Okay, go to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 42. Book of Isaiah, chapter number 42. An interesting verse uh, in the sense that it, it actually it packs a pretty big punch here. And I'll show you. Uh, chapter 42, verse 1. He says, Behold my servant, whom I, uh, whom I uphold, mine elect. Look at that word elect. Okay. In whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. That's Jesus Christ. He's called his servant. So Jesus Christ uh, is a servant. What's interesting about this verse is that uh, if you recall when we were going through Calvinism, uh, we have that uh, the election of God, right? What did he just call Jesus Christ in Isaiah chapter 42? He says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect. So who's elected? You see that? Who's elected? Jesus Christ is elected. So you as a child of God, how do you become elected? You get in Jesus, and guess what? You become one of the elect. So it's not this exclusive group of believers that are, you know, that are elect, and oh, maybe Brother Rich is elect and I'm not, or maybe Brother David's elect and I'm not, you know, or something like that. No, it's, it's like, well, how do, I, how do I know if I'm one of the elect? Well, that's pretty simple. Are you in Christ? Because He's the one that's elect. And just in case there's some confusion of who that is, just, just take your Bibles and go to Proverbs chapter 8. It's just funny how the Bible clears up some, so, so much stuff here. Proverbs chapter 8. It's wisdom personified in Proverbs chapter number 8. Um, let's see here. Look in verse, start in verse 22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of His way before His works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no foundations abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. This is before creation. This is before Genesis 1.1. You see that? While as, while as yet He had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when He prepared the heavens, I was there. When He set a compass upon the face of the, deep, of, of the, of the depth, when He established the clouds above, when He strengthened the, found, the fountains of the deep, when He gave to the sea His decree, and the water should not pass His commandment, when He appointed, look at this, the foundations of the earth, Anytime you hear somebody say something along the lines of, oh, well, you were predestinated before the foundation of the world. 
Don't you think it would behoove you that if the Bible says the foundations of the world, that maybe that would give you some insight into what that particular statement means? Okay, so he's saying before the foundation of the world. What was before the foundation of the world? Well, it was this guy, whoever this guy is, right? Then was I by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights were the sons of men. And what does he say in verse number 1 of chapter 42? Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect... Now, I'm elected before the foundation of the earth. And just in case you weren't sure who he was talking about, he says, look at this, in whom my soul delighteth. And that takes you right back to Proverbs chapter 8, verse number 30. When I was by him as one brought up with him, I was daily his what? Delight. That's Jesus Christ before the foundations of the world, before, uh, before the heavens were made, before the earth was made, before Genesis 1-1, he was there. Okay, and, um, and uh, so he's, he's called the servant. He's, he's called there, I did a little tangent there on Calvinism just because I've been uh, accused of things in the past. Um, but he is, uh, he is um, the elect of God and you get elected when you elect him. <laughs> they say, how do I become the elect? Well, you elect Jesus Christ as your savior and uh, you become elect in Jesus Christ. It's pretty simple, right? That's pretty, pretty simple. Um, but so he's his servant in Isaiah chapter 42. Again, back to Galatians chapter 4. He says, now I say the heir, as long as he is a child, different nothing from a servant. Okay, so again, the apostles called, uh, called servants up until the day of cru the crucifixion. Then they're called friends. Their, their relationship, if you will, changes. And then Jesus Christ, uh, all the way back in the Old Testament, he's referred to as God's servant, as, as Jehovah's servant. Okay, then he learned obedience as a son. Okay, go to Hebrews chapter 5. So he learns, he learns obedience as a son would learn obedience. Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, Starting verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and, whose, uh, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. You see that? And then verse 9 says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Okay, so we're just looking at the trend here, back here in Galatians. He starts off as a servant, and then he learns obedience through his sufferings, which makes him obedient as a son. That's Jesus Christ. And all the while, all the while, he's a servant, and he's learning obedience as a son. And go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And all the while... He's the Lord of all. Colossians chapter 1, look in verse number 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? 
For by him we were, are all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. You see that? So uh, we go back to our text here in Galatians chapter 4. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Well, that's Jesus Christ. So here he is. He's a servant. He has to learn obedience as a son will learn obedience. And all the while, he's the Lord of all. Okay? Uh, Israel, uh, same, same type of thing. Israel was born as a son when the nation was in servitude or slavery in Egypt. Go to Exodus chapter 4. This, this thing holds true, you know, throughout the Bible. Exodus chapter 4, verse number 23, starting verse 22, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Israel, again here, called God's son. Now, you have to be careful here because some, some, some will, will, will cross-reference this and, see, and say, see, there were sons of God. Israel were, were the sons of God in the Old Testament. You see that? So you've got to be careful there. And uh, some reference Bibles even take you, you know, take you to those to those references and try to try to show you that. See, the the, the children of Israel were the sons of God. You see that? <laughs> well, that's not the case. Okay, Israel again back in in, in in Exodus chapter four, he's talking Israel, the nation, my son. Okay, he's not talking about the individual Israelites and their being sons and daughters of God and all that different stuff. Because guess what? The only thing back in the Old Testament that were the sons of God, those were angels. And there are no sons of God as far as, as, as salvation is concerned till after Acts chapter 2. So obviously, that's a wrong you know, teaching. But again, if you're, if you're trying to teach that you're saved in the Old Testament the same way you are in the New Testament, you go there and say, oh, there's, see, there's sons of God back in the Old Testament. You see that? But uh, because you understand dispensations, because you understand how to rightly divide some things, you go, oh, no, that, that, that makes sense. He's just talking about the nation as a whole, just like he calls the nation the apple of his eye and, and uh, all these kinds of things. Um, <coughs> he's referring to the nation as one, as a nation, he calls it his son over there. Okay, so just as Israel was born as a son when the nation was in servitude or in slavery, Israel had to learn obedience under the tutorship of the law. That's in verse number 5 back in our text in Galatians chapter 4. To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. So the, the purpose of these tutors, the purpose of this governor... Uh, was to simply instruct them or have them learn obedience uh, through the law. And, and, and you see that again through uh, how the apostles were. You see that through the life of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and you have to also understand uh, Jesus Christ was a Sabbath-observing, pork-abstaining Jew up his whole life. You see that? And so he's underneath the Old Testament. He's underneath the law. And he comes in and he, and, he, and, he, and he makes a show of it, the Bible says, openly. 
never, never misstepping at all. Israel, Israel is the same way as, as far as their history into the Old Testament goes. In type, the, another illustration is here is you got Abraham, right? We just talked about Abraham in the last chapter, right? Here's Abraham, and he's got Isaac. And what does the Bible say about Isaac? Go uh, show, show you a verse over in Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24, verse number 36. The Bible says about Isaac here. And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old. That's, that's Isaac. And unto him hath he given all that he hath. Isaac was given everything from his birth. It was his, right? And so what does he say back here in verse 1 of chapter 4? Now I say that the heir, Isaac, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing than a servant, though he be Lord of all. And so Abraham, he has a servant named Eliezer. Everybody familiar with that name? And what is Eliezer? Eliezer is the one that is over all the possessions of Abraham. Eliezer is the one that is tasked to go find a bride for Isaac. You see that? And so Eliezer, he is, he is over and responsible for all of the things that Abraham has. And though he is not the heir to them, Isaac is. Um, so again, I'm just trying to biblically show you that illustration all the way through. Um, so I, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed by the Father. Tutors and governors here um, equates to the rules and regulations of the Levitical and Mosaic law. That's what they're referring to. It's very clear to see. They equate to the rules and the regulations of the, uh, the Levitical and Mosaic law. And the time, it says, until, until the time appointed of the Father. And so then that begs the question, well, what time is he talking about? Well, that's defined and showed to you um, in verse number 4, what he says, but when the fullness of the time was come. So the fullness of time uh, in chapter, three, or chapter 4, verse 4, is the answer to the appointed time of the Father in verse number 2. It was the time, obviously, that Jesus Christ came. Um, as, as you'll see there um, in verse, verse number 4, when he says, And God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. That was the time He's talking about. He's not talking about uh, any other time other than that. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, verse number, verse number three. Uh, Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Okay, under the elements of the world. He's speaking historically. 
but there, uh, it is important that you see that he's speaking historically in the sense of, he says, so we, then we were children, were under bondage under the elements of the, of the world. Uh, of course, speaking historically in reference to the Jews, right? Speaking in reference to the Jews, although there is application um, and, and there is some sense uh, to be made um, when it comes to somebody being convicted as a sinner and personally goes through the experience uh, of finding Jesus Christ, right? And so, he, so there's, there's a historical application, but there's also a spiritual application here. It says, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. If you look at that from a reference of before you were saved, Paul resonates with that. Paul resonates with that. He, he has that testimony. He speaks of it back in uh, Romans chapter 7. He speaks of that in uh, Romans chapter 7, verse number, starting in verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, look at this, what it, look at what it says here. The motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead uh, wherein we were uh, held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So again, showing that before he was saved, he was underneath this bondage. He was in the motions of sin, if you will. That's what he says. And notice how he says sins that have motions. Ebbs and flows and so on and so forth. Uh, it's like the current of the age. All right, for when we were in the flesh and the motions of sin, we were by, uh, uh, which were by the law, did work in our members and bring forth uh, fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin taken occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of con, uh, concupiscence. That's like excessive lust. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. This is uh, Paul's reference to his childhood. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And so... So he could have the same, he could have a similar testimony. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And so here he is saying, you know, when I was a child, you know, I, uh, I, I was, you know, uh, basically you, you go through this thing. He says, uh, when, he, when he was a child, he was innocent. But then when the commandment came, that, that age of accountability, when a child understands sin being against God, that, that sin nature is, is, is revealed to that child. And now, the, now uh, the letter of the law says, revives and I die. And so uh, all the time, all the while, he's growing up in a, in a world where <coughs> he's going through the motions. And he's doing exactly what the world tells him to do. You know, he's got big ambitions and he goes and he, 
and he, and he becomes highly educated, and, he, and, he's got, and he's got ambitions, political ambitions and aspirations, and I'd be the high priest someday, and sits down, sits down there at the feet of Gamil and, and, and learns from the most experienced lawman of his day, and, and is well-versed in the law, of the Jewish law, well-versed in, in all manner of Old Testament customs and, 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 and things of that nature. He says, as touching the law, blameless is his testimony. What a testimony. It says, as touching the law, blameless. That was Paul's testimony. So much so where then that, be, that came with a sense of zeal in service, right? Although it's mis, misplaced zeal, but to the point where he's persecuting the church, going throughout there trying to you know, uh, uh, imprison people and see people die and, and, and bring them forth to the magistrates and... And he's cleaning house of these apostates, of these, you know, of these, uh, these, these Christian folks that have broken away from the religious rule of the hierarchy of, of the priesthood. Who were these rebellious people? And he's going and he's living his life and he's doing exactly what everyone's telling him to do. And the world says jump and he says how high? You know? And I'm sure that he was encouraged and he was, man, we haven't seen a kid like this. And man, they had all, they had all the, the big wigs behind him and everybody was trying to get him to be his boy and all this different stuff. And man, he just, he was that, he's that young guy that man, everybody just wants, that, that prodigy. And he's all mixed up into the world. Well, look at what he says over here in Acts chapter 9. He thinks he's doing God's service, right? He's, he's serving, he is serving the law to the best of his ability. His moral compass, the God of higher education, the God of comparison, you know, you compare yourselves amongst yourselves. He looks at these other people and says, Oh, you look at you peasant people. You're not as smart as I am. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He's arrogant. You know, I bet you he's a handful, man. And all of a sudden, the Lord knocks him down flat on his face. Amen? And he speaks these words. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings, in verse 1 of chapter 9, slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus. He had access to the high priest. You see that? He could go to the high priest and say, hey, would you, give me, would you give me the credibility, would you give me your stamp of approval to speak on your behalf and lock people up in this town that I've never been to? And the high priest says, absolutely. That's the kind of relationship this guy has with the bigwigs of his day. It says, desired him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of, his, uh, of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. He had arresting powers. You know how hard it is to get arresting powers? 
you got to go through school, you got to get trained and trained and trained and trained and trained, then you have probationary period, and man, you have to take an oath, and you have to put your hand on your, on your heart over a Bible and, 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 and give an oath to protect and serve and not abuse your powers, and eventually they give you the badge, and now you have what they call arresting powers. This wasn't no citizen's arrest, this was a sanctioned arrest from the high priest. This, Paul's out there. And he journeyed and came near Damascus, and suddenly there shone round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is it hard for thee to kick against the pricks? You know what he shows you there? People that are stuck in this world, and, they're, and, and what they are is... Uh, they were children under bondage to the elements of this world. You know what you find out about people that live like that and they just sold out to the world and whatever the world wants, they do it? You know what you find out? A lot of times they're doing that in contrary to their conscience. Their conscience, the whole time they're doing it, bothers them. I don't know about you, but you ever, uh, maybe some of you here can relate to this, maybe you can't, you know, before you were saved, doing certain things and partaking in certain things and it's just something in the back of your mind saying, this ain't right. You know? You ever just, I mean, I've heard testimonies of people and stuff like that that they, you know, out drinking and out doing all this different stuff and you know what they, they saw? They see, this, they see this repetitious nature to what it is they're doing. Right? They have that moment of clarity where they step back and they see the sequence of their life and they say, oh, so you mean I work Monday through Friday just so that I can blow my money on beer and, and alcohol on the weekends and, 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 and chase after what they tell me I should chase after? And then, you know what, we get through Sunday and then we start it all over again and then we, we work, you know, Monday through Friday. We complain about our boss and we do this, that, and the other. And, you know, we, we, you, know you do your best to try to have some kind of semblance of normalcy in your life just to go seek it again. And again, and again, and again, and you step back and you go, what is, man, this is, is this what life's about? Pastor talked about it the other day in his sermon, he said that rat race, you know, the rat race of life, that gets you in that circle, they get you, is what he, he told you over there in, in, in Romans chapter 7, the motions of sin. You're just going through the motions, man. You're just doing whatever the trend is that day. Whatever, whatever the, the, you know, some of you were raised in a different time than I was raised. And, and you know, what, whatever it was when, uh, when, you, when, when you were, you know, sowing your wild oats or whatever it is that they say. All, you know what I'm talking about. As a child of the, of the, of the 90s, <laughs> I, I, I know what the, what the trends were. As childs of the 70s or 80s, I won't go any further back. I don't want to offend anybody, right? But, uh, you know, there was trends and fads and, and all that kind of stuff. Then the world says, this is what, this is what fun is. And the world says, hey, if you want to be cool, this is what you do to be cool. This is what you do to fit in. This is how you talk. This is how you dress. This is how you... And Jesus Christ mentions it as he strikes him down on the road to Damascus. He says, isn't it hard for you to kick against the pricks, man? 
He says, all the while, you think you're doing everything the world's telling you to do to the best of your ability. In the back of your mind, you're still bothered. And you're like, something's wrong here. There is something that's just not right. And you know what you find out? That system has got you in bondage. That system's got you shackled down with chains. And I'm not talking about chains where, you know, you can you know, have full motion of your arms and that kind of thing. I'm talking about them big, thick chains. You know what I'm saying? Them big, thick chains that, man, you, you, you wrap a whole, you can't even barely, you couldn't bicep curl them if you hold, held a whole line of them in your hand. And that big shackles around your rip, both of your wrists and you got the big old metal ball and chain along there and it's hard to move. And it's got you completely locked down. And he likens it unto that. And just like it says here, he says, even so we, when we were children in bondage under the elements of the world. You know, the elements. You know what they say, you know, when you go out into the wilderness and stuff, he says you're facing the elements. You say, what is that? Could be raining, could be snowing, the sun could be scorching down hot and drought. You know, it could be famine, could be, all, what does he mean by the elements of the world? Whatever condition the world is in at the time, that changes. Absolutely. And man, that thing, boy, it just stinking tears you up. And he says, but when the fullness of time, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Verse number four. Isn't that a blessing? <laughs> in the process of time, <laughs> in the fullness of time, you know what? God waited until Paul, Paul uh, God didn't strike Paul down before he killed his first Christian. You notice that? He had a track record. God let Paul go through all the schooling. God let Paul meet all the people and have all the networking and have all the, you know, the ability to do what he did. He let him persecute his church. God allowed him to do it. But in the fullness of time, you know what he did? He said, all right. Boom. <laughs> he shines a light around him. And he deals with him. Just like you and me. In the fullness of time. You've heard my testimony before, but it's, I, I think about it and and I remember feeling that way. And I, yeah, I was saved at the age of 13. But I, I, I vividly remember as a young boy coming up through school and stuff, I, I vividly remember, especially, especially because we had a small school, right? We're a rural community, farming community. And, uh, you know, we only had 64 people in my graduating class in public school. So, you know, what, what I saw, I remember this. I remember having these thoughts in my head as a, as a young boy. You know, I remember there were some of my friends who liked skateboarding. There were some of my friends that liked to play basketball. And then there were some of my friends that, you know, they were like the rednecks, you know, and they wanted to go hunting and distill their own moonshine, you know, all this stupid stuff. You know, there was, there, and, there was, so there was, and there was my friends that, <coughs> you know, were the preppy kids, you know. And I remember as a, as a young boy, I wanted to be accepted by every one of those groups of people. And what I found out is that 
with every group of people that I came in and out of, there was a different lingo, and there was a, there was a different style, and there was a different kind of like and dislike. And, and, and the thing was, is I was able to navigate all of those different things, and I had and I had different clothes I wanted to wear with certain people, and I had different, you know, I remember, uh, you know, there was, the, there was the skateboarding phase, you know, it was like, oh, we're going to go into town and go skating, you know. You get your skateboard, and you just skate through town all day long, you know. You couldn't do no, I couldn't do no tricks. I was horrible. I was a big boy, man. I had no business on a skateboard. <laughs> no business on a skateboard. That skateboard was pleading for mercy when I was on that skateboard. He's like, please. <laughs> Probably why I never took up horseback riding. <laughs> Horse was like, that's enough. <laughs> but you know what? I remember everyone had to have a CCS catalog. And so you had to subscribe to have a CCS catalog come in the mail, and it showed you all the new shoes that were coming out and all the, new, all the different skateboarding brands that were in that thing. And I remember the CCS catalog would come out, and you'd sit down with your skateboard friends, and you'd sit down, and you're like, oh, man, I like these pair of shoes. And, man, did you see these new pair of shoes? And we was poor, so I'd go home, and I'd say, Mom, I like She's like, I ain't spending that money on them shoes. We'd go to Payless Shoes, and I'd find the knockoff ones that kind of look like that, and I'd come back to school, and they'd be like, I didn't see them in the catalog. It's like, yeah, you know, this is a different brand. You know, you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I remember that. But you want to know something? In the fullness of time, God came and he showed himself to me. And I remember I was like, man. Here I am working, trying to work. I'm working double time to try to fit in with this crowd and fit in with this crowd and fit in with this crowd and fit in with this crowd. And I was, I, I learned how to play guitar. So I started getting in with the, you know, the, the band geek guys, you know, and we were doing the school musicals and the, and the senior play and all this different stuff, you know, and just doing all that stuff. And uh, you know what? It was just like the Lord in the, in, in, in the fullness of time, he comes and he deals with you right when he needs to deal with you. And you have to make a decision. And, you know, it wasn't obviously an overnight decision. I got saved when I was 13, and I was still in public school and still in the motions of the world and that kind of thing. But what, what it was is the Lord started dealing with me, and I got saved. And then, you know, just the fullness of time, man. It's a process of time. It's time. It never happens all at once. Somebody just getting into this thing or somebody that's, that's a, that's a teenager or somebody, a young adult, every different phases of their life and that kind of stuff. Man, the Lord will deal with them in His time. You know, we, we, we're the ones that have to learn to be patient with people. You know, because you can try to rip them out of the motions of the world and it won't help them a bit. Because if they stick with you, the only reason they're out of the motions is because you ripped them out of it. It's not because God got them out of it. It's not because God convicted them about it. It's because you ripped them out, you know. So, again, the reason that that's important is because the, the, it's important to understand that that kind of Christianity is rooted and grounded in what you were delivered from. Bondage. This and ordinances contained in the law. We talked about that last week, Right? And what Jesus Christ did, He came, and now that Jesus Christ has come, there's no, the, the, the effectiveness of the law is no longer there. 
the purpose in which God set forth the law to do has run its course. So until it says here, even so when we were children in bondage under the elements of the law, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law. And he, and, he, and he perfected his life and he lived a perfect life and he overcame the law and he nailed it to his cross, taking it out of the way. And so if you try to live your Christian life as if uh, you're under the law, you're going to have a pretty lousy Christian life. You, don't, you ought not to live like you're in bondage anymore. And so... Jews and Gentiles used to go by rules and regulations. And those rules and regulations, they box them in. They confound them, right? They, <coughs> uh, they restricted them. They were in bondage to these elemental rules and regulations. They were bondage to that. That's and 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 that's and that's the sole characteristic of religion versus Christianity. Is that religion is rooted and grounded in elemental rules and regulations and philosophies and man's wisdom and man's traditions. That's the key difference. And never the twain shall meet. When Christianity vectors off from its course and, and intermingles itself with that kind of stuff, it becomes a very dangerous thing. Very dangerous. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 8. I'll start in verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Right? I'm, I, I'm now no longer underneath the, the burden of the law anymore. I'm underneath the, the, the grace and the liberty of Jesus Christ. I'm in Him. And he says, now walk in Him. That's the commandments you have. Walk in Jesus Christ. Rooted. Built up in Him. Established in the faith. As ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Well, that's very helpful in Christianity. What are you supposed to be? You're supposed to be rooted. Rooted and grounded in the truth. Okay? And then it says, once you're rooted and grounded in the truth, that you need to be built up. Built up in Jesus Christ. And then you have to become established. Right? Sometimes, the, have anybody here ever been on a building project before? Anybody have a building project before? I know Brother Rich has. You know what happens in the construction process can be kind of hectic sometimes. Right? And the building process can get pretty messy. Right? Anybody here ever lived through like a remodel? You know? 
Brother David, you're doing that right now, aren't you, man? A little bit, yeah. You've been remodeling your house for a while. And you live through it, right? And things aren't exactly the way they should be. And there's always something in flux. And there's always something that needs to be finished, right? But you got the house, right? You're rooted. You're there. It's on a foundation. <laughs> it's not, the wind's not blowing it off the foundation. That's a blessing, right? But the building up process can, can get a little hectic, right? But then to become established, that's when, okay, I'm built, right? And now we start to get some paint on the walls, you know, and hang some pictures, and <laughs> you know, you yeah, moved into a new house and and, 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 and I know what it was like when we had, had our, all our kids, you know, and, and it's like we always knew it was probably good to take pictures of your kids. <laughs> but we just, we just had picture frames with, with like the stock photos of people on our walls. Because <laughs> you just hadn't got around to, you know, just getting our family in the frames, you know. <laughs> but, then, but then you go to, but see, you go to, you go to somebody's house that their kids are teenagers, right? And you know what you find out about that house? It's established. And they got the pictures on the wall, and they have, you know, they got family traditions that they do during the holidays, and you know what I'm saying? And, and mom makes her dinner dead at a certain time, and the kids, they, they come home and they do their chores. I'm just, you know, maybe this is a little, little house on the prairie, I don't know. But, but what, I'm, what I'm saying is, is there's a difference between a house that's just been moved into and an established home. Does that make sense? He's telling you here, I'm going to walk in Jesus Christ. You know what? Okay, I need to be rooted. I have my grounding. I need to be built up. That can sometimes be hectic and messy and painful and all the things that come with building. But then the trick is to become established in the faith. Right? Not, 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 now, man, we're making the house a home. You know? Our fingerprints are on it. It's not just some stock house we moved into. Right? As ye have been taught, it takes somebody to teach you that. You know, no man's an island. God gives us people to teach us, and God gives us people to instruct us and to be examples to us, and all of those things. And although they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, the child of God needs to be taught. Abounding therein. Then he says, not just to be rooted, not just to be built up, not just to be established, but to abound with thanksgiving. As God establishes you as a Christian, as God you know, stabilizes your Christian life, you know what you need to make sure you do? Abound in the things God gave you and be extremely thankful. You see how that, man, isn't that beautiful? How that thing works out? And then he gives you a warning in verse number 8. Beware. I'm taking it back to our text here. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You know what will spoil a Christian that is rooted and built up and established and abounding and thankful. You know what can spoil that Christian? When you start to allow the philosophy, 
the vain deceit, the traditions, and the rudiments of the world can come in and start to change the way you think. That's a dangerous place. And so, these rudiments of the world, right? These rules, regulations. There's, listen, listen, there's uh, rudiments of the world. How about, how about, here, here's a couple of them. Everyone else does it. Oh, bummer. <laughs> Everybody else does it. How come I can't do it? How about, uh, I just got to get married. I don't want to end up being an old biddy, or I don't want to end up being, a, you know, the least eligible bachelor, <laughs> you know. I just got to get married. We've always done it this way. This is just how, it's just how we do it. Right? There ain't no harm in it. How about this one? I'm not convicted about it. You know, using your liberty as occasion to the flesh. Got to make a living. You know what I'm saying? Got to make a living. Yeah, you have to make a living. You're right, you do. But never at the cost of your Christianity. Never at the train wreck of your testimony. Right? Well, I, you know, job comes and says, you know what, you know, we, we're going to require you to, um, you know, you've got to go to this. I had, a, I had a job. I had a job several years ago. Um, said, you've got to come to the Christmas party. I said, yeah, where's the Christmas party at? It's at this O'Leary place or something, this bar. I said, I'm not going. He says, man, you're the, you're the, you're the guy over this whole department. You've got to be there. All your guys are going to be there. You've got to come. I'm sorry. I said, I ain't going. You all here know that I'm a preacher. You guys all here know that I'm a Christian. You think for one second I'm going to walk into that bar. You're crazy. I said, if that's where, if that's where we're at, then I'll go find another job. You see that? So what could you do? You say, oh, well, i got to make a living. They're requiring me to go. You know? We go to these uh, meetings and stuff. Like a couple years ago, I went to St. Louis. Last, this last year, we went to, you know, Traverse City, Michigan. And we go these, um, something they call it the Summit Forums or whatever. It's all the green industry guys get together and they, do a powwow, you know, <laughs> and, um, you know, you're in, you're in like seminars all day and there's speakers and yeah, you get a lot of, you know, usually get a lot of business stuff and, and ideas and stuff to come, come back to and try to do some things different, you know, with, with your clients and stuff like that. But you know what they, what they want you to do is they want you to network in the networking time, right? And they really pressure you to network, network, network. I don't like to network. Not a big networker, you know what I'm saying? I'm just not. I've never gravitated toward networking. I don't like. Ne I've been a part of networking groups back when, you know, several years ago, several years ago, like eight years ago, um, and uh, I, j I never got along with it. I never just, I just, I don't. I'm not good at small talk. I'm not good at you know that kind of thing, and so, um, you know, when those in those things, 
I mean, they're always walking, you know, they, 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 they want to go network, but they want to go network in the bar at the hotel. So you know what, I, I go to my hotel room. <laughs> and they go, well, you weren't at the networking thing. I'm like, no, I'm not, and I ain't going. Why aren't you there? I said, listen, I'm a Christian, and I was in my, I was in my room studying. I got, I got stuff to teach. I got, I, got stuff to, I got stuff to study for. And I think it's an opportunity for me to tell them I'm a Christian. You know, they're the ones, you know, walk, you know, they're the ones coming out of the bar, you know, why aren't you going to networking? I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> it's like, okay, man, yeah. <laughs> right? If my, if my job required me to go do that, I wouldn't work there. As a Christian, I wouldn't work for a, a, a I wouldn't work for, you know, a company that delivers beer. You know, I'm not going to work for Coors Light driving truck, you know. Had a guy actually one time got saved, and uh, he was working for a beer delivery. You know, he was he worked for I don't know how that works or whatever, but he drives a big Coors truck. You know, <laughs> and I remember uh, the preacher said, you know, if God can't get you, if God can't get you a better job than that, and he he's not he's not he's not much of a God. I mean, that guy got a new job. He went and started applying for jobs and. And uh, he ended up, the Lord gave him a new job at a factory up in, uh, in Malone, or Chattagay, New York. And he was running, he was running a big uh, payloader at a chip plant or something like that, just putting wood chips in a big old bin, you know, just all day long. And then uh, it was probably maybe two or three weeks that guy, the Lord gave him another job, and he's able to quit his job. And, and they say, well, hey, why in the world did you quit your job? He says, man, I'm a, I got saved, and I just don't think a Christian ought to be driving beer around. You know what I'm saying? But you want to know something? If you start listening to the voices in the world, even as a rooted and grounded, established Christian, you know what? You were once in bondage before you got saved. You know what the world can do after you're saved and you're rooted and you're, and as the Bible tells you, you're rooted and you're, and you're built up and you're established and you got the faith and you've been taught and you're abounding and you're, and you're thankful for what God's given you. You know what you need to make sure you're careful? Better be careful about what podcast you listen to. You better be careful about what music you listen to. I know this one's hard. You say, why is it so, why is it so important you be careful what kind of music you listen to? You want to know why? Because music conveys a philosophy. What is a philosophy? It's just a, it's just a teaching. It's, just a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an outlook on life. That's what a philosophy is. Right? And so, and so you think about pop music, and that's, and that's really the core of all music now, is pop music. And uh, all your country stuff, um, all your rock stuff, it's all rooted and grounded in pop. What they found out about pop music is that pop music, um, they had uh, colleges, like educators. They were like, we need to learn what pop music did to our society. Because what they have done 
is they have been able to, in a very short amount of time, we have people for hours at the undivided attention. We cannot do what pop music has done to, this, to the culture in the time that it's been around. We have, to, we have to adopt what pop music is doing. He says they can convey an emotion, they can convey a philosophy in two or three minutes, and you listen to it over and over and over and over and over and over again. What's the key to learning? Repetition. Repetition. And so, what do you have now? You've got uh, TikTok, and you've got, and you've got um, YouTube Shorts. What are they? 30, 40 second videos? What are they doing? Conveying an emotion, conveying a philosophy. And you listen to that, and listen to that, and listen to that, and listen to that, and you know what the Bible tells you? It can spoil you. It can change the way you think. And now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, your philosophies are different. Because what does the Bible tell you about these things? It says that, they're, that these philosophies, these traditions, these concepts, right? They are deceitful. They're rooted in vanity, right? And then look at what it says. It says that they're after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. You know, what, you know what a philosophy is? Socialism is a philosophy. You know what else is a philosophy? Capitalism. Can I tell you this? Neither one of them is after Christ. Neither one of them. You say, oh, well, you're a, are, are you a socialist? No, I'm not. But you think for one second, if you think for one second that capitalism, you, you, you uh, pursuing capitalism uh, to the nth degree is rooted in Christ, you're nuts. That's not true. Right? You're talking to a guy that, you know, got a business, you know, Right? I'm not saying that I would rather have, you know, socialism is, is, is a philosophy that says what we want to do is we want to take money from those that earn, right? We want to redistribute that wealth to those who have not, the, the haves and the have-nots, right? And, and, and we know that that, the, that that philosophy, when it is played out, has turned and, and killed more people than anything, any philosophy, other than Roman Catholicism, God help us, Right? But then capitalism says, right? Capitalism says we got to keep the, we got to keep that money going. Capitalism says I'm going to provide you a good and service and you are going to pay me for uh, profit and I should work everything that I do, everything that I do is chasing profit. That's cap if you're a good capitalist, that's what you do. You chase profit. You chase that. You say is that rooted and grounded in Christ? Absolutely not. What does the Bible tell you to do? He tells you that you should labor and you should do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. Oh. Oh, the Bible tells you you should be content with your wages? Oh. You see that thing? 
So you have to be careful that you don't become so wrapped up in the rudiments or the philosophies of this world that you negate the fact that you're not after them. You're after Christ. Those things don't apply to you. You know what? Uh, I, I just got turned on to a book the other day, but the premise of the book is, is how, is how um, in the, like the, the 60s, 70s, and the 80s, how much, how much progress was made, how much, how much infrastructure, the building, all of the things that were created in that time frame. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a whole uh, doctrinal thesis that, that you know, religion and, and Christianity was thriving. You know, at those times you had big churches, you know, that kind of thing. And Christian philosophy, if you will, uh, was, was, was actually more adopted in these, you know, white collar, blue collar, you know, blue collar type jobs, the laborer jobs, th- those kinds of things. And what, they, what it shows you is that, that America was built on the back of Christians that were working not for the almighty dollar, but to please God. And so they took pride in their work and they, and they, and they, and they did the extra mile. And yeah, they stayed late and they, and they didn't complain. And they, were, and, they, and they stuck with a company for 30 years and they did all these different things. And this whole premise of this book, again, I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to, um, is based on how, and how the greatness of America was built on the backs of Christians that had, had the, was rooted and grounded in Christ and their work that they did, they did it as under the Lord. And so their character was rooted and grounded in their belief system, not in chasing the almighty dollar. Because both of these philosophies, I'm just picking on these two things because that's what, you know, that's what everybody's heated up about right now. We're going to be on a socialist country. We're going to become, we want to be capitalist country. You know, the fact of the matter is, is guess what? In a capitalist country, you have a bunch of wealth at the top of a bunch of people who don't care about you and they don't care about their workers, and they don't care about any of that stuff. And you know what they do? They'll do anything to make sure that their profit margins are what they should be. And if it means canning you, they're going to can you. And they don't care where you get your next paycheck. They don't care if your family starves. Now, not all business owners are like that. Thank God. I appreciate that. I don't, I don't work for a company like that. I really don't. My, my owners of our company... They, again, I mean, they don't, they don't believe exactly like I believe, but they're, you know, we get to pray and, 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 and talk about the Lord and talk about the Bible and stuff like that, and it's all well and good, you know, and they, and they, and they, really, they really do, you know, value their employees, right? So there's still some places out there that are like that, but I'm saying each philosophy to the nth degree, you get dictators over here, and then you get money-hungry, evil people over here. So, the Bible says you need to be careful. What does he say? He just says beware. Right? He doesn't say, listen. <coughs> he doesn't say, right, that uh, you can, the, the, some, some of the stuff that you, I mean, uh, in the world, I mean, you got to live in, the, you do have to live in this world and you do have to provide for your family and you have to make money and you have to do those kinds of things, not at the expense of your Christianity. And what that tells us here is that what we need to be careful of, just like go back to Galatians here, just like before we were saved and we were rooted and grounded in this, or we're uh, in bondage to the elements of this world, we can 
even after we're saved, we're not done being careful. And so the Bible says, beware, Christians, beware, because it can overtake you like a flood sometimes. And all the news and all the junk that's swirling around here and <clears throat> geopolitical unrest and, and all these, you know what all the arguments today are? It's all, what do they call Ideological. They're all ideas. They're all philosophies. This racism and, and, and all, the, all, the, all this transgender stuff like that, it's not just sheer wickedness. That is a philosophy. And so what happens is Christians listen to that stuff and listen to that stuff and listen to that stuff and they go, oh, what are we talking about about gays, man? What do we really care about? Wait a second. Why did you say that? Why did you say that? You better beware. You had better beware. Somebody's got your ear. That's vain deceit. You know, you listen to that stuff and listen to that stuff and listen to that stuff. We had a guy in our church. I mean, he was a Sunday school teacher. And you want to know something? He taught Sunday school here for years and years and years. And you know what he says now? He says, we're systemically racist and we have to make sure that we, you know, uh, you know really help our, our African-American, this, that, and the other. And he's fully in-depth in, in all that stuff. What is that? That's a philosophy. You know what? You need to be, care- you need to be careful of that. The Bible says beware of that because it'll get you. It'll mess you up. And the problem is, is you live in a world now where everything is relayed by audio or visual. And so it's so easy to consume content. And you can't even get around it. The Bible tells you not to follow vain persons. You ever read that in Proverbs? He tells you not to follow vain people. You know what? They don't even try to hide it from you. You know what they call these social media people and these podcasters and stuff like that? What do they call themselves? Influencers. What are they trying to do? They're trying to influence you. They're trying to sell you on a philosophy. They're after the stinking gray matter between your ears. All to what? To put you back in chains. To get you and rip you up, pluck you out by the roots and leave you out to dry and steal all your rewards at the judgment seat of Christ and mess up your whole Christian life. You know what we're supposed to do? Keep your face in that book and keep your eyes steadfast on Jesus Christ. And yeah, you got to work in and out of this world. You do. But you know what you got to do? You got to maintain that testimony. Folks you work with should know you're a Christian. Folks you work with should know, hey, listen, this is just some stuff we don't do. You know, you got a business, Brother Rich, you got a business, you know what I'm saying? Some of you guys in here, you, you, you work different jobs, you know what you should do? You go there and you work as under the Lord. And if the Lord, you know, provides you an opportunity to go somewhere, make some more money, whatever that thing may be, you always do it with the highest amount of respect. You keep your testimony intact. Right? We're not just greedily going after whatever it is we're going after. 
If God wants to promote you, He'll promote you the right way. But you've got to be careful because in the philosophies of this world, they'll eat you up as a Christian. And, and then what will happen is, is you'll feel like you know, there's something wrong. And the problem is, is you've got two things warring in your head. The Bible, the Bible says, labor not to be rich. Cease from mine own wisdom. The focus of your labor is not to get rich. If the Lord allows you to get rich, praise the Lord. Lord gives you some money, praise the Lord. But you know what it should do? If you ever come in with some money, you know what you should It should make you nervous. It should make you nervous. And you should say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And you better pray over that thing. And you better seek God's face on that thing. You see what I'm saying? Because the philosophy says, oh, well, you need to do this, put this in the 401k, you need to put this over here and make sure. Anytime you get into any money, here's some standard steps, this, 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 and this, and it makes sure that you have this done, this, done, this, done, this, done, this, done. I'm not saying those things are even wrong. All I'm saying is, is as a Christian, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Because you know what's in none of those things? Oh, I wonder if I should, you know, maybe give a chunk of this to missions. You know? Maybe I got to, you know, I see a brother or a sister, they got some needs, and maybe I just, you know, stick this in their Bible when they're not looking, and they'll know, and I won't even know it's from me. See what I'm saying? All those philosophies don't tell you to do that. But God just may come and say, hey, man, yeah, I just bless you with six figures, just bless you with, you know, bless you with some great job, bless you with this, that, and the other, some chunk of money you didn't see coming. The Lord says, hey, here's a need. If you're not praying over that thing, you know what? You won't even see the need. You'll just think, oh, man, this is great. I can buy this, and I can buy this, and I can buy this. And the Lord may say, hey, before you go buy that, I'm not saying that's bad. Don't, don't not buy it, but uh, could, you, could you maybe just dump it on this over here just a little bit? Absolutely, Lord. Lord put me in a bind one time. I know I went over. Pastor's not coming in case you didn't know. Um, so I'm, I'm going to finish up my ramblings and then we'll be dismissed for the evening. So um, Lord set me up one time, man. I was in Bible college. I was so poor. <laughs> I was so poor. Pastor's told you. I've told you the stories before, you know. And I uh, was living in this trailer park and I mean, I was in and out of work, in and out of work, and there wasn't just, it wasn't that I was lazy or didn't want to try to work. There was just no jobs. It was 2008, 2009, 2010. There wasn't no work. <laughs> and uh, I remember, man, we're on a Chemstrand trailer park, man, and um, the guy's name was Les. I believe his name was Les, and yet I forget his wife's name. There's a special reward for them in heaven. <laughs> They had, that, they had all PBI guys in that big old trailer park, all these old FEMA trailers they bought, and they ran this trailer park. They lived there. And, man, they put up with us PBI guys. My goodness, man, they put up with us. And uh, his name wasn't Les. It was Wes. It was Wes. That's what it is. There you go. It's all coming back to me now. Um, I was three or four months behind on my rent. I mean, I, I, was, I was in rough shape. And I'd go to Wes. I'm like, Wes, I'll pay you. I promise I'll pay you. And <coughs> Wes is like, don't worry about it, man. You'll find it. It'll, it'll work out. And, 
And he was a Christian guy. He'd pray for us. And I remember my mom calls him one day and says, your grandfather passed away. And uh, he's got some money. And uh, my dad had passed away. And so basically my dad's portion of that money was going to get split up between me, my brother, and my sister. And I thought to myself, glory to God. I'm like, here it is, baby. <laughs> Load up the dump truck and send it my way. <clears throat> right? I'm fixing to pay the, I'm paying for meals. You know, I'm ready to, I'm ready to you know, I'm like, I'm, Lord, I've, I've gone through enough of this being really poor stuff, and you're about to load me up with some money. And I remember, man, and I said, Mom, how much are they going to send me? And she says, I don't know, Joe, but you know your grandfather, he had a lot of money. And I said, man, I can't, I can't wait to see what this check is, you know? And she says, it's going to take some time. It's, it's up in court and all this different stuff, and, and they'll, they'll send you your check when, it, when all the stuff comes out of court. I said, man, praise God. I, told, I go to Wes. I said, Wes, oh, Wes, I'm going to pay you, man. I'm going to prepay you. And I got on my face, and, man, I was just so excited. I said, man, Lord, it's going to be $10,000. I can already feel it, $10,000. I said, Lord, when I get that check, when I get that check, Lord, I'm going to put $1,000 in the offering plate. I promise. I'm going to put $1,000 in the offering plate. That's what, because I thought he was going to give me $10,000. I was convinced I'm getting $10,000. And I waited, and a month went by. Two months went by. I said, Wes, it's coming, man. And finally, that day came. I went out to my mailbox, man. And I saw that thing, state of New York, you know. And I could tell it was, you know them envelopes, you can tell there's a check in them. You can just tell. It's got a little, little hue color in there. You're like, oh, yeah, baby. Dinero day. That's what I'm talking about. I get in there. I'm real spiritual. Man, I put that thing on my bed. I get on my knees. I'm like, oh, God. I know it's been a few months, Lord. And I've been patiently waiting, Lord, because all good things come to them that wait, God, and hope deferred maketh the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. And there's a tree of life in this envelope. <coughs> and I prayed and I said, God, I didn't forget. There's a thousand dollars in this envelope for you. And I opened that envelope. Why y'all laughing? It's like you know what's going to happen. It was like eighteen hundred bucks. Uh, and I looked at it. I said, "Lord, I think it's missing a zero. <laughs> I'm like, "Wait a minute! Eighteen hundred dollars! I owe Wes eight hundred in back rent." And I'm like. I said, Lord, Lord, I know I told you. I know I told you I'd give you a thousand, but, but Lord, once I pay my rent off, well, I mean, you know how much. You can do math. <laughs> Lord says, how about that thousand? <laughs> Say, what'd you do? I paid my rent off. And I cashed that check. And I begrudgingly <laughs> put it in an offering envelope. 
And I slap that $1,000 in the offering plate. Lord says, now you're caught up on your rent. How's that feel? <laughs> I said, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. It's funny how the Lord does that stuff, right? It's funny how the Lord does that. You know, the world tells you, that's crazy. Why in the world would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. You know, it doesn't make any sense at all. But it makes sense to God. And God was trying to develop something in me, just like he wants to develop something in all of us. And you've got to come in and out of this world, and you've got to be able to pray over things and ask the Lord, hey, what do you want me to do with this thing? And sometimes the Lord tells you to do something, and sometimes you just learn to keep your stinking mouth shut until you know how much is coming, amen, and just say, I'll give you the 10% that I owe you. And <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's a funny story, but you see the illustration, right? So here back in our text, <coughs> we'll wrap it up here. I got some more, I got some more stuff. Do you guys want to go for another 10 minutes or do you want to stop now? Okay. You guys want to take a, a break? You got to go to the bathroom real quick? Anybody? All right. Why don't you go, go to the bathroom and then as soon as you get back, I'll, I'll run for maybe another 10, 15. I'll give you a couple things and then we'll call the night. We'll, we'll leave out of here by quarter till. At least. Maybe 20 till. Maybe 25 till. You're like, you can't do anything in 10 minutes. I just got some stuff here in verse number five or verse number four I'd like to get through. It always amazes me. I'm like, Lord, I don't have two hours worth of stuff. <laughs> and you get going and the Lord's like, yeah, you got more than you think. <laughs> Amen. Uh, you can tell me. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, if, you, if, if you want to put it through there. You... Okay. Do you have the number, Brother Joe? Do you know how to send a text? Just send a text to that phone number. And the only reason I tell you that is is that you can put the names in there and all that stuff, and then my wife, she'll send it out to everybody immediately with what you send her. So whatever you want, the prayer request. Okay, yeah. We'll do that, and then I'll go home and I'll talk to Paige, and if for whatever reason she doesn't send it out, then I'll, I'll, we'll reach back out and we'll get it out. Okay. Well, you can, you can relay, like, the names and all that kind of stuff, and that everybody knows how to pray. You know, that's the benefit of it, I think. But, I mean, I know about it, so I will pray because you told me to. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay, verse number four. We're back in verse number four. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. And, again, I just say thank God for that. The Lord had the foresight. The Lord had the plan in place before the foundation of the world, as we saw back there in Isaiah chapter number 42. Uh, we saw that, and uh, 
What a blessing that God sent His Son. What a blessing that Jesus Christ came. Now, there's two words here that drive people bonkers. And uh, they don't like it. And so they think that they can just change it because, after all, they're smarter than God. And so <coughs> these, these two words that I'm sure that if I were to ask you what they are, you would already know what they are. Uh, because, they, I mean, they're blatantly, you know, just they just come off the page and say, man, this just isn't right, you know. I'm being sarcastic if you couldn't tell. It says, made of a woman, made under the law. Jesus Christ wasn't made, he was born. David, you look flabbergasted. You look shocked. He said, my goodness, he's right. <laughs> he was born. And so they, 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 they think that they need to attack the word made because made isn't a proper uh, description of what Jesus Christ was born. He wasn't made. Why would you say he was made? Well, again, we turn to the Bible because we're what they call Bible believers, right? Go to John chapter number 1. What you find out is you better be pretty happy he was made. Because yes, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, right? But for you to attack the word made because you like the word born better, you're going to miss something if you do that, which undoubtedly, if you change the Bible, you're going to miss something. Okay, look in verse number 14 of chapter 1 of the book of John. And the word, capital W-O-R-D, was what? Oh, snap. <laughs> you mean you missed the cross-reference if you take the word made out? Yeah, you absolutely do. <laughs> The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was not born, He was made. Go to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8. It's just shocking sometimes, and I don't think I'm smarter than these guys. I wouldn't go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these scholars like Dr. Ruckman could. I, I couldn't hold a candle to some of these guys. These guys, are, they're smart, they know their stuff, and they know their languages and all that different stuff. But it never ceases to amaze me, uh, as you read the, the material that Dr. Rutwin put out, and he talks about all, and he calls them out by name, and sometimes people, they can get overwhelmed with reading his commentaries and reading some of his discourse on, on these things, and they say, oh, it's so combative. Could you imagine being him and being able to hang with these guys? I heard the other day, a lot of people didn't know this, but Dr. Ruckman was offered, after he was graduated from Bob Jones University, they offered him to come back and teach Greek at Bob Jones University. The Greek teachers from Bob Jones University used to call him and ask him questions about the Greek language. That's how well that man knew it. People don't understand just how amazing that guy was when it came to languages and what he knew about Latin, what he knew about Greek, how he could read Hebrew and Greek fluently. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> and so when he goes off on tangents like that you say oh there he goes again it's like you don't even understand what you're talking about that guy eviscerated these people I can't do that but what I would never cease to amaze me as I read what he wrote and for me to try to articulate it back to you you would know that I'm just 
trying to regurgitate something I don't understand completely, right? But I'm, I, I know this, that it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that if you turn the thing to born, you miss the cross-references. And you didn't have to change it because once you realize that what the Bible says as a whole, you go, oh man, that thing works out pretty good. And you go, my goodness. And then it reinforces your faith in the Word of God. And you say, oh, wait a second. So you mean the cross-reference in Galatians to John chapter 1 to Romans chapter 8, and you start seeing this book is intermingled with one another, and you go, man, there ain't no book like that. Instead, you look at the book and you go, oh, word made? He was born. I'll just change that. And you miss it all. Because you don't let the book be the authority, you be the authority. That's not how we think. All right? And so I can't articulate. If you want it to be articulated, get you the, the uh, commentary and read what he said and all the nice things he said about all those great scholars in there. I'm just giving you the cross references here. Romans chapter number 8. Uh, look in verse number. Let me see. Hold on a second. I've got to get to where I'm going. Verse number 1. Verse number one, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son, look at this, in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for the sin condemns sin in the flesh. You see that? He was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. You want to know what happens if you change that thing from uh, made to born? You could put him back into Adam's seed. He wasn't of Adam's seed. You attack, you attack the, uh, the, uh, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would you do that? The Bible says he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't after the seed of Adam. Right? He had the seed of his father. And so you look at a word like that, and you know what you find out really, really quickly? You realize you're not smart enough to change this book. Period. Not one jot, not one tittle, not one little four or five letter word. You know what? If it says made, I believe it's made. It's just like <coughs> when he talks about, it says this holy thing. He called, they, they reference Jesus Christ as a holy thing. It's slipping my mind where it's at right now. And they go bonkers over that. It calls him a thing. Go ahead and change it. And you mess up a bunch of stuff, man. We'll get into that. This holy thing. And, uh, and what you find out is if God wants to say he was made, then he was made. Because you lose that cross-reference to the Word of God. And so what you, what you lose, if you, if you take away the word made, you don't get the cross-reference to John chapter 1, verse 14. If you don't get the cross-reference to John chapter 1, verse 14, then you don't understand that the Word of God is Jesus Christ, and the closest thing you got to Jesus Christ is that book. So who's behind that correction? You see that? You don't mess with the stuff. You don't mess with it. Folks, you're going to come a day, sooner than later, where you're going to be mocked for your stance and your view of the Bible. Now, you're already, to some degree, if you tell people, 
uh, how you believe the Bible. And people can say, oh, yeah, the Bible is a good book and it's a moral book and you can learn some things from it and, yeah, all this different stuff. But when you say, no, 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 I believe that the Bible is perfect, inerrant. The King James Bible uh, is, is perfect without error and I don't, there's no need for corrections. Well, what about the Greek? I believe the English corrects the Greek. Oh, what are you talking? You are nuts. You're going to be like aliens here before too long. You're going to be, who are they? These people are crazy. You know that? But you better not do it. That's the, that's the current. That's the current of the world. And you better believe that you better not be. That's why he says, beware, beware. The philosophy, well, why don't you just... Well, well, what about, you can use other Bibles. People still get saved out of other Bibles. You see, what's that? That's a philosophy. Not rooted in Christ, but rooted in the rudiments of the world. Not after Christ. See that thing, how that thing penetrates everything? Right? And then one, one last thing here in verse number four. But when, look at what it says, the fullness of time. You know what you find out as you read your Bible? That... The Lord runs on a timetable. That's what you find out. The Lord, <coughs> He's always on time. Man, you look at the world in which you live in today and you go, Oh my goodness, how in the world could we be here more than 15 minutes longer? Right? And yeah, I mean, you look at the world and you go, How in the world could we possibly be here for another 5, 10 years? How could it possibly last that long? I don't know. <laughs> but if it does, you know what I know? God runs on a timetable. And God knows when He's going to come back. And I don't. And I'm not supposed to know. You know what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to live godly in this present evil world. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to understand that God runs on a timetable and it's not your timetable. Go to Matthew chapter number 8. Matthew chapter number 8. Matthew chapter number 8, look in uh, verse 28. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the, Gad uh, of the Gergeshines, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fear, so that no man... Uh, might pass by by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us? Look at what it says. Before the time? These devils that were in the maniac of Gadara, you know what you find out? These guys knew that there was a time appointed. They know their fate. And they know that there's a time appointed. And they said, Are you going to torment us before the time? God runs on a timetable. Go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Verse number 52. The Bible says, Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were coming to him, be come out as against a thief with swords and staves. 
When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. You know what he's saying? He came out, they came out against him in the garden. And you know what happens? He says, now it's your time. Jesus Christ, on several occasions, which you find out as you read through your Gospels, there's a time they had him backed up against a cliff, man. They're ready to chuck stones and kill him. And you know what the Bible says? And he passed through the midst of them. You ever think about that? <laughs> you, have, you have a mob of people that have convicted you in the, in, the, in the court of public opinion that you have committed blasphemy. They've all got stones. Your back is up against it. And the Bible just, just says, and he just walks through the midst of them and he goes away. <laughs> Like, did you ever, like, play that through in your head? <laughs> he, like, he, like, did he, like, you know, Heisman trophy him, you know? <laughs> and, like, stiff arm him and get out of there? I think they split like the Red Sea, man. I think he, I think he just paused time, boom, and just scooted him out of the way, and he just walked out, and he says, okay, and he clicks his fingers, and they're like, where, where do you go? <laughs> you know? You want to know why? Because it wasn't his time yet. It wasn't his time. There was a time for his crucifixion. The Bible tells you here that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. You say, when? When at the right time? And when did he die? When did, it, when did he allow them to take him captive and bring him in unto Pilate? When it was their time? What do the devils know? Their time is short. What does it say? What does he say uh, when he, uh, after the, uh, he comes back in the second advent? And he has a, a thousand year millennial reign. And he puts, uh, he puts uh, Lucifer, he puts the devil there down in chains in the, in, the, in the bottomless pit there. And then the Bible says he's loosed for a little time. And there's a time and then there's a, there's a battle of Gog and Magog and boom, you're out in there. White throne judgment out into eternity. And you say, what is that? It's all on the timetable. You want to have an interesting study sometime? Study the cup of God's wrath. You know what you find out? That there's a cup that God has, especially with nations. You know what happens? That cup gets full. And you start pouring into that cup and pouring into that cup. And as, the, as he sees the wickedness come, that cup gets full and it gets fuller and it gets fuller and it gets fuller. Go to Psalms chapter 75. I think it's Psalm 75. Yeah, Psalm 75. Look in verse number 8. Start in verse 7. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture, and he poureth out of the same. But the dredges thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. You know what happens? God looks at nations, and you can see it over in Isaiah. You see it in Jeremiah. He talks about that. And you know what it says in Jeremiah? He says, he, says, he pours out the cup of the fierce and the wrath, the wrath of God, and he says, and they drink, the, they suck the dredges out of that cup. You know, you get one of these you know, strong cups of coffee, you know, you get down to the bottom of that coffee, and you got all them like grounds and stuff, it's super bitter, you know. You know what happens? The Lord's got a timetable. The Lord runs on a timetable. You know what he said? Uh, go to uh, Ro Romans chapter 11.
Romans chapter 11, look at verse number 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened unto Israel. Look at this. Till the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now I know how that's somehow sometimes taught, and that's basically, you know, that we're just waiting for the last person to get saved, and once the last person gets saved, you know, then the, the trumpet will sound and all this other stuff. You know what the truth of the matter is? There's a fullness of time. Say, when is the Lord coming back? Whenever the time of the Gentiles is up. Say, when is the time of the Gentiles up? I don't know. That's why we believe in what they call the imminent return of Jesus Christ. The pre-tribulation rapture. The imminent. You say, when is it? Whenever he feels like it. Well, I think it should be now. <laughs> right? It should be now. Like right now. And you know what? The Bible tells, tells you, when is he coming back? When the, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Whenever the time is. Now, the times and seasons and stuff like that, you, you, you know that kind of thing. So it probably, you know, October or whatever. It could be in the spring, you know, all this different stuff. That's the, the Advent and so you, you do Passover and, or, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, the resurrection and all this different stuff, and, and you try to place it, you know, sometime in the spring or whatever. You know what the truth of the matter is? He come back whenever he wants. When's he coming back? When the time is right, he'll come back. You want to know why? Because he does everything on a timetable. He's not disorganized like me and you. He can keep a calendar. <laughs> you know how the old adage goes, he's never early and he's never late. He's always right on time. And uh, sometimes he's sitting there and he says, I must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because I got something to do there, man. That's why. And so if God has a time, right, just like with you and I, there's a time. And what we need to make sure that we are is sensitive to God's timing. That's the practical lesson of what I'm trying to show you here Yes, there's a doctrinal thing as far as God running on a timetable and all that kind of stuff and, uh, and that kind of thing. But the practical side is you need to be sensitive to God's timing in your life, right? Sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own time, we don't let God interrupt our time. So what happens when you're going down the road and, you know, you, you want to go from point A to point B and you've got it in your GPS, it's going to take me three hours to get from point A to point B and all of a sudden you realize 75 is shut down, it's got an accident and it's going to detour you all the way over through here and somewhere around the other way and what you know is you're going to run out of gas. You thought you had enough gas, but you didn't have enough gas and you know what you needed to do? You need to stop at this little, you know, uh, podunk gas station there and there's, a, and there's a gas station clerk in there and you know what they've been having a rough day and they had a rough time and you go in there and you give them a gospel track and God says that was my divine appointment you see that that's how God works he's running the timetable you're not you can do the best you can but then when it doesn't come out the way you think it should or when the day's not going the way you think it should and you're not getting accomplished what you think you need to get accomplished and every kind of monkey wrench has been thrown in the schedule, sometimes you need to sit back and go, okay, Lord, am I, am I, am there, is there some kind of divine appointment here that I need to... That's when you should be on high alert. 
a lot of times what happens is, and I'm guilty of this myself, is I become very selfish in that moment. And I think, my time, my time, my time, my time. God says, I'm the one that runs on the timetable. I appreciate you trying to be organized. I appreciate you trying to, you know, have a little bit of structure in your life. But I like to interrupt your plan sometimes because I have plans and I have appointments that I would like for my servant to get to. And aren't you my servant? You see that thing? So it's important we be sensitive to God's timing, whether that be in a doctrinal sense and whether the Lord's coming back or not. And I know that it uh, uh, could be tonight. It could be in the morning. It could be tomorrow. It could be 20 years from now. I have no idea. You know what I know? Whenever it's time, He'll come. All I can, all I can worry about is today. All I can worry about is what I have right now. And with that said, uh, we will end this evening's class. How about that? I told you we had a quartile. Look at that. Right on the, right on the money, man. All right. Yeah, it's pretty good time. Does anybody have any questions or anything? It's all right. <laughs>